Good morning, everyone. Uh, if we can turn in our Bibles to Colossians chapter 3 uh, in the New Testament. Uh, we're going to read from the NIV version today. I'll, I'll just pray quickly before we read this. Dear God, we thank you for this word, this perfect and holy word. We thank you for um, the opportunity that we have to read it and um, that we can um, hear directly from you through this Bible. God, we pray for uh, Bill as he, read, uh, as, he pre- uh, as he preaches to us today that you will help us to listen and that the Holy Spirit will guide us in, um, in our hearing and understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. So Colossians chapter 3. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is, in, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, Humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive, each, forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it, not only when their eye is on you and to win their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ who you are serving. Here ends the reading.
Well, good morning, church. Thank you for the invitation to um, bring God's word. And we've been part of this congregation for a few weeks already since moving from Tasmania. And uh, I just want to tell you a bit about my background. I've been in the ministry in the Christian Reformed Churches since 1984. And uh, my wife, Inika, is over there at the back. We have kids all around the country. We moved to the mainland to try to be a bit closer to them and our grandchildren. And uh, as I reflect on this church, I want to say thank you for uh, a godly community. Um, we've noticed the presence of the Holy Spirit here. We know that Jesus is central to what you do. And it's exciting to be part of a community that wants to reach out to the lost and see them come to Christ. As we prepare for listening to the word, a couple of intro things. Um, this week, you know how God sometimes puts a thought in your heart and it's, it's a word that he wants you to chew on and ruminate over and meditate on. Well, the one that has been in my mind that connects with what we do and the message today is living with the hope that the present will catch up to the future. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but living with the hope that our present will catch up to the future. Because this text talks about the future and it talks how we live now in the light of the future. So, so that's just something to think about during the week. It's connected with the message. It's not the message, but it's something that is there That's I felt, God, you're telling me that I need to share this with church this morning. And the other thing, uh, life groups, it was interesting to be part of a life group and we've only attended the one uh, in the Jonah series, but I've listened to all the ones on the web when we were in Tasmania for a month. And... Um, the question came up saying, after all of Jonah's preaching, well, the little bit of Jonah's preaching, which had a great big effect, and Nineveh repents, the question was, what happened to Nineveh historically? And although the dates are hard to fix, but Jonah preached, Nineveh repented and believed, but then about 60 to 100 years later, Nineveh was annihilated. If you want to check it up, read the book of Nahum in one setting. It's a letter that you must read after Jonah. Because what it tells you is that unless repentance and faith is personal to each generation, the gospel falls away. And that's really, really important. You can't live on your father's faith or your grandfather's faith. It has to be a personal faith. So they're just some insights that I wanted to share with you. Um, what Luke just read for us in that rather long reading was actually the most important thing we'll do this morning. To read God's word, to hear him speak to you directly. There's nothing more important than that. What I'm hoping to do is explain in a bit more detail what a few verses of that passage mean. So let me pray with you that we might understand that. Father God in heaven, we, we know you speak. You are a speaking God as well as a listening God. You have spoken to us this morning in these words from Colossians. 
And Holy Spirit, you are the one who authored these words through the Apostle Paul. And we are privileged to have the author in our midst to actually tell us what you mean. I pray for listening ears, for engaged hearts, for transformed lives as a result of meeting with you and listening to you and putting into action what your spirit actually wants to do in us today. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, the, uh, the title for this morning's message is Heavenly Minded, Earthly Intentional. And I'm sure that uh, you've all heard the saying that some people say about Christians, they're too heavenly minded to be of any earthly good. Have you ever heard people accuse you of being too heavenly minded to be of any earthly good? It's said about people who might be focused on things above in heaven, but they can't see any practical outworking on earth. And so these people are described as, your head is in the clouds. Well, I want to tell you that that's not what Paul is saying. He's not saying to have your heads in the clouds. He's writing to a, a church in Colossae that has uh, its Christians there with two feet on the ground. The text is saying, mind you, that we are to be heavenly minded. But that heavenly mindedness is to have your mind on the risen Christ and he is to be in the centre of your thoughts. Have a look at the text if you've kept your Bibles open and I hope you do. He says there, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And then he goes on as we look at this passage to talk about a renewed mind in verse 2 and a transformed life. So he's talking about what you are looking at, how it renews you, how it transforms you, with Christ at the centre, so that you can live on earth for the very purpose that God made you, and that is for his glory. Now if you take this to heart, it has some implications. Christ's followers want to be the best they can be for Jesus. And have a look at verse 17, because Paul is actually leading up to that. These verses were read because they explain what a heavenly-minded life looks like. Look at verse 17. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Everything you do, have Christ at the centre of it. And so if that's happening to you, then I believe that Christians will be people who can make the best doctors, the best nurses, the best paramedics in the world because they're doing everything for Jesus. I believe that Christians who see Christ at the centre of everything can be the most creative artists. Now, I'm not saying that non-Christians can't do that. Common grace says, yes, they can. But what I am saying is that if Christ is in the centre, then you definitely can be like that. So if we have Christ at the centre, and he's watching everything I'm doing, we'll be the best value mechanics. 
and builders and plumbers and tradesmen because we're doing it for Jesus. And if we love learning and love people, then we can be the best teachers. And if we love discovering God's world and make the best scientists and researchers and explorers, that's something of the practical implication if Christ is at the centre of everything you do. And so we do it for God's glory, not ourselves. We're serving Jesus so that we can make a real difference in the world. So this actually isn't any head-in-the-cloud stuff. But we could change that saying to, what on earth are you doing for heaven's sake? That would be a different way. So we're going to look at three things this morning. We're looking at the transformed life. We're looking at how to seek it. And then under construction. And for those of you who like structure, like to know where we're going, let me tell you that the first point is the longest point. So don't think that after point one, you're going to have another long point two, long point three. No, no, it's a long one, just so that we can set the scene and then we will get to those other points. So what the Bible is telling us here is that we are being taught how to live the transformed life. And looking at verse 1 again, it says, The guiding principle is the resurrection of Christ. Look at verse 1 again. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Now I want to unpack that a little. Resurrection is the transformation of a dead body into a living body. That's what resurrection means. That's what it was for Jesus when he was dead in the grave and then rose again. It is a transformed body, a miracle. We can say that he is alive. And we need to say, you know, when, when I say Jesus is alive, we need to hear, Amen. He is alive. He, he is a resurrected Lord, and it's his resurrection that gives us a central focus. So a true believer in Jesus is connected, joined to Jesus in such a way that what happened to Jesus has actually happened to us. So if Christ died, we are joined to him, then we died. If Christ rose again from the dead, so did we. We rose from the dead also. Through trusting in Jesus as your saviour from sin and from rebellion, you become joined to him and his death is your death and his life is your life. And it's a miracle that you can receive only by faith. There's no other way, no other saviour. And so the logic of the Apostle Paul is this. If you belong to Jesus, you have a new life, which gives you a new orientation and it gives you a new motivation for living. That's the whole point of reading that passage in Colossians 3. Verses 1 to 4 are sort of prefixing that and then he elaborates on how that impacts in our lives. Transformation is followed by an outcome which is a new orientation. See how the text says it. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Well, when you read that, at first glance, it feels like Paul is repeating himself. 
he says, set your hearts on things above. Then he says, set your minds on things above. Why does he do that? Because every word of Scripture is God-breathed. It's there for a reason. Well, the heart is usually called our emotive center, and the mind is our rational center. In the Eastern worldview, the heart is the very core of the person. The Bible is an Eastern book, and it talks about the heart of things, the heart of the matter. To the Western worldview, which is the Greek world, and that's come through to us, the mind is the core of a person. As the proverb goes, as a person thinks, so is he. So we as Westerners think of mind, Easterners think of heart, and Paul is using God's word to say he's covering the Bible all through the world, all bases, all cultures, all times. So he's saying this is a whole heart and mind transformation for the person who belongs to Jesus and follows him. So then what becomes the instruction for this new life? In other words, when you look at the text, how do you change the settings of your heart and of your mind? Well, an illustration I like to use is with a GPS, a global positioning system that we use in cars and boats. Have I missed something here? Um, did I skip a page? Two. Because oh, I should have the GPS picture up there. Um, I've missed a page somewhere. Yeah, yeah, but I'm worried about this. Because uh, I've got a small space. Um, let me quickly go through this. Two, three. Yeah, I've missed something. I don't know. All right, go to the global positioning system. I need it. Um, yeah. Anyway, we, we put in the destination and the address where you want to go and the GPS works out the route for you. And now, one example that I have from WA, because I, I love the GPSs and Inika took quite a while to convert to a GPS because she wanted to be directing the maps and everything, but I listen to another lady now on the GPS. <laughs> but, but that's okay. What happened in WA, I was up with friends uh, near Exmouth and they said, we're going fishing. I said, where are you going fishing? Oh, secret spot. So I said, how do you know the spot? Because they were just heading out to the Pacific Ocean, uh, Indian Ocean. And they said, oh, we've got it on our GPS. I said, what? He said, we go to this reef. It's logged in our GPS. You go there. You drop a line. You catch a fish. I thought, oh, okay. I'll look forward to this. Anyway, we drop a line in big bite and in the end I caught up this great big I kid you not a cobia uh, a big cobia and uh, I thought wow GPS get you right on the spot so our job is to follow the instructions and set and follow and when I say set and follow I nearly always think of the word set and forget because we have that sort of in our system set and forget this is not saying set and forget this is saying set and follow that's how you get there. God's word is telling us how to navigate through life. God's word is actually your GPS. So set your hearts on it, set your minds on it, and follow it carefully. So that's what uh, verse 
1 and 2 is telling us to set our hearts on things above. But notice in verses 1 and 2, it says, on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, on things above and not on earthly things. So Paul is very deliberate here. He is saying, I'm going to tell you how to set it positively, where Christ is, seated, and negatively, not on earthly things. And so the right hand of God is actually the place of authority, the headquarters of the universe. So our setting, our focus, our GPS, our minds and hearts are to be on Christ, where he is, because that's where he's ruling, and that means we'll be looking for his kingdom and his church. And since we are joined with Christ, remember that language here, we are joined, connected with Christ through faith, we are actually with him. Have you ever thought of yourself in the throne room with Christ? We are connected to him by faith. So while we live on this earth, there is a principle of us being in him and in the heavens. So our setting needs to be locked into where Jesus is and what his priorities are. So what are they? This is where I have to rearrange myself. What are they? Well, in four words, you could say it is God's glory and God's kingdom. If you want to know what to set your hearts on, God's glory, God's kingdom. And it looks like this. It, it looks like being transformed so that your life is more and more looking like Jesus. It means reaching out to people who are far from God so that you can bring them closer to God. It means letting the gospel in you transform public life. If you work in the hospitals, you are there to help transform the life of the hospital. For schools, if you're in business, in government, in the justice system, in research, because every square centimetre belongs to King Jesus and his name should be written on it, to paraphrase Abraham Kuyper. But have a look at, I'll read it to you. Uh, the, the message is a Bible paraphrase, not a translation, it's a Bible paraphrase. I personally love it because of the uh, insights that come out of a paraphrase. But listen to verses 1 and 2 from the message. So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along with eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. That's the long first point. We're going to look at how do you seek this transformed life. Well, if you look at the words, set your hearts, it's literally a command to seek. To seek in such a way that you will leave no stone unturned to get what you want. So it means look for it, desire it, search it out. Like a miner who's exploring or digging for gold. He's not going to leave a stone unturned to get down to the gold level. 
like an athlete who has to train and train and run towards the finishing line, or like the Australian swimming sensation Ariane Titmus. She trained and trained. She was desperate to get that gold medal. She set her heart on it because she really, really, really wanted it. That's what it means here. So it doesn't come automatically. It's not a cruise. You want it so seriously that it's a life priority. You research things, you plan things, you prepare things so that Christ is your focus. That means that you're going to do a lot of thinking about God's kingdom. You're going to pray about the things that matter to Jesus. You're going to plan your life around those things because Jesus is at the core of your being and your life centers around him. What are some of the things that we can do to seek and think about? Well, there are some things that have been done for you that you need to keep going back to. And that is the risen Christ has already conquered sin and Satan and death. They are our enemies, but they are already conquered. Sin, Satan and death. And so when you think about the world we live in, that the greatest obstacles, the greatest enemies have been defeated. The Holy Spirit has been poured out in a flood at Pentecost and ever since then. So raise your eyes to the things of God and what matters to him and then do it because he has all power and all authority, which means we can go all out for Jesus. We have to lock those coordinates into our mind. Keep being Christ-centered and kingdom-focused. And if you've memorized Matthew 6.33 or you know the chorus, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Put your mind to it. Align your mind to Christ and reset to him. I think that's the thing I have to keep learning. Reset to him. Because I have to go on my merry own way, but I have to go reset. The Holy Spirit will then see that your will is in keeping with Christ's will, and you'll be aiming for his glory and greatness. Now, this is all written in the plural. It's very interesting. Often in the New Testament, when you see your life, you think personally, because we're such independent thinking people. But most of the time, it's in the plural, your plural, your life. And so that means this is not just something you take in personally, but as a church, we take it in, and then we can actually encourage and challenge one another. We together are seeking the things above. And I love that word team, the acronym for together, each achieves more. See, that's what the gospel is saying here, that we do this together. Now, we all know the power of the mind. If you feel hopeless at a sport, have a guess how you'll perform. Hopeless. If you are hopeless at chess, or if you think you're hopeless at chess, well, don't give it a try. You probably will fail. So, you know, this is the importance of sports psychology. They tell us that the mind plays a huge part in how we perform. I love to play social tennis. And most of the guys I play with around my age, a bit younger or a bit older, we're, we're pretty even physically and with talent. 
But have a guess what? The game can swing on this. You know, they say that when you're equal in talent, it's 10% physical ability and 90% mental ability. So the mind plays a really important part in what you do. So let's apply this. Mental orientation, the power of your mind. Can I ask you, if you look at a day in the life of your week, what is your mind mostly focused on? I don't need to have your answers aloud, but I certainly want you to think them. What, what does your mind gravitate to during the week? Here's another one. The first thought of your wake-up moment. The moment you wake up, can you recall your first thoughts? What is going on in the subconscious while you sleep? So that click, when you wake up, you get your first thought. Interested to hear what you think. What do you find yourself planning automatically? If you've got a piece of paper and a pen and you're allowed to doodle, what do you start writing down? That, that tells us what's going on in our mind deeper. Now, Paul talks about the things of this world and the things above. The things that we are not to concentrate on, the things of the world, verse 2, can be gold. And when I say gold, I do mean physical gold because a lot of people are saying in unstable times, invest in gold. People are saying that. But really, what gold is security. Um, things of the world, money. Influence, if you want to have power over people, influence. Your job can be a Christ thing, but it can easily become a worldly thing when it occupies all the empty spaces in your life. Share portfolios and trawling the internet for the best deal. Retirement. One of my passions is that people who are retired can make retirement their worldly thing. And as John Piper said, don't waste your life. Imagine coming up to the gates of heaven and God says, what did you do? And you say, look, I picked up a lot of seashells and I played good rounds of golf. What would God say to that? Really? Toys. Big boys' toys, little boys' toys. Houses, possessions, the latest electronic gadgets. I mean, our kids buy new phones and we usually inherit their old ones. You know, that's how it goes with parents and kids these days. But some people say they want to be right on top of those electronic gadgets. But I can summarize it to say it like this. Anything that trumps what Christ values. Anything that trumps what Christ values is seeking the things of the world. Anything that gives you more security than Jesus does. Ask yourself, what is the hardest thing for me to do without? What is the hardest thing for you to do without? And then say to yourself, is that becoming my idol? Or is that where I'm focusing things? And then verse 1 says, look to things that are above. What might they be? Well, the things that inherently please God. The things that give joy to the Holy Spirit. Imagine the Holy Spirit looking down from heaven and seeing what you do 
And when he sees you doing the very best you can under a car with spanners and stuff like that, he says, good job. I like what you're doing. What about when you're talking to someone who's in brokenness and they just need someone to come alongside and, and share the load? And the Holy Spirit says, good on you, mate. I love what you're doing. So what gives joy to the Holy Spirit? Things that last for eternity, that's never going to be lost. How we grow Christ's influence in our families, in our own life, in our work, in our community. How we can bless people. You know, those random acts of kindness that come out of nowhere. And you just bless someone. That is something that is seeking the things above. And I think one of the greatest things is how many people will join us with Christ in heaven for eternity must be one of the greatest things to focus on. So we've seen that our thinking determines our actions. So keep your thoughts focused on Christ above where he's seated at the right hand of God. Set and follow and do what pleases him. That's how to live the transformed life. Well, the last point is under construction. And I could call that you are a work in progress. Look at verse 3. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. The word hidden is a really, really interesting word. And it's not used very often. Uh, but it's, it's really got its opposite in the text with the word appear. So you, you've actually got to put Hidden is there and appear is there. They're put together for that contrast. So your life is hidden with Christ in God. In essence, it means that your lives are under construction. You are and I am a work in progress. The old you has been demolished and killed off. It has been paid for by the life of obedience that Christ lived and his death on the cross for our sins. A new you has started already and is under construction. I think we've got a slide of a, a building site here. Well, I just want to tell you a little incident that happened in Hobart several years ago. In the CBD, there was a dreadful, dreadful fire. And it burnt out uh, all the Myers store, all the levels, and a lot of shops surrounding it. And we lived in Hobart with a hole in the center. Every time you drove past, you'd see this massive, great big hole when they took all the ruins out. And we lived for, I don't know, three years at least with a big, big hole in the ground. And Hobart looked like it had lost its center. And then construction started. And you should have seen what happened. They had to dig right, right down and Hobart's got a rivulet that runs under it, so they had to hit the rivulet and then build good foundations and then start building from way down there up to street level and then they could go up along. So when you look at that, you see this work in progress. It looks pretty messy, but there is something going on underground and behind the scene. So you could say the blueprints have been drawn, the architects have done his work. The council has approved and the model of the building is there. All that's done, a work has started, progress is being made. 
but what do you see for it? In the beginning, you don't see a lot. It's basically underground. And that's what the word hidden means. It, it is hidden. A lot of work has already been done, but it's not very visible. It's like the foundations of a skyscraper or even the footings of the house where the building has started and the work is progressing. It's underground. It's a new work. It's foundational. It's essential. And that hidden word is expressed in a very unusual tense in the scriptures. It means that that hidden work is actually as good as done because of a past action. So even though we cannot see the completed finished house, Paul says there is safety and security in it because look at it. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Now he could have said with Christ, full stop. He could have said in God, full stop. But he says with Christ in God. Paul couldn't put more emphasis on this than is possible. The Holy Spirit is at work. And a lot of his work in us is internal. It's underground, yet fully linked to Christ. And God's project in us is safe and secure, purchased by the blood of Christ, identified with him. So this has some implications. We need to see ourselves as Christ sees us. We need to review our own progress. It's a good thing to look backwards and say, okay, five years ago, yeah, I was doing that. That's the sort of person I was. This year, by the grace of God, I've made some progress and I hope to keep doing that. So the Holy Spirit is, is doing that work and we can see, yeah, I'm a project under construction. Maybe we should write that one day on a T-shirt. I'm under construction. And continually be changing so that we daily are more conformed to look like Christ. But it has this other implication too, is how do we see other Christians? We need to see them also as God sees them. So we need to sort of start saying, try to look below the surface a bit. And that means... Don't be too critical. Celebrate progress when you see it in each other and certainly pray for each other. Encourage each other. Be patient with each other because if you are a project under construction, what about them? Aren't they also like that? Now verse 4 says, When Christ, who is your life, appears... That means no longer hidden. It means revealed, all, all shown. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. See the contrast between hidden and appearing? Verse 3 looks back to the cross with certainty. Verse 4 looks forward to Christ's return with certainty. And that's meant to be an encouragement to keep us going, to keep being transformed. Because when Jesus appears, the text says on the last day, two things will become clear. Two things, the text says. You'll be like Jesus and you'll have his glorious resurrection body. Imagine that. You'll be like Jesus. You'll be perfected. You'll be complete. You'll be fully transformed into his likeness. You can have a new slogan on your T-shirt. 
project completed. And you'll have Christ's glorious resurrection body. No more sin. No more pain. No more depression, anxiety, or tears, or tension, or death. I, I was trying to imagine a resurrection body, and, and I, I can't see it fully because we've got to wait to the last day for that. But in 2014, and I have great sympathy for all you people who've got knee problems, I had 40 years of knee problems, and in 2014, by the grace of God, I got a brand new replacement knee. And my old knee was totally shot. And the new knee has given me a new life in the sense that I can kick a footy again, I can play tennis, I can do bike riding, all those sort of things. And this knee's better than the old knee. So that's a little taste of something improving in our aching bodies. But now imagine a resurrection body. Everything perfect. In a way, that's what we should be praying for, shouldn't we? When we pray for sick people, Jesus, come back again. Give us all these new resurrection bodies. What a glorious day that will be. But anyway, what I'm saying is, Paul says, this is to make, make you look forward and hope for with this glorious ambition. And if that's what you're going to be like, welcome daily the Holy Spirit's transformation in you. We were talking in Life Group on Tuesday night about praying for more of the Holy Spirit. You know, I don't know about you, but often we pray for all this stuff, but we don't often pray for more of the Holy Spirit. I know he fills us, but Lloyd-Jones describes us as leaking buckets. And so we drip and we need to be refilled and refilled. And that's what it says in Ephesians, what is it, 5 somewhere, where we are to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. So why don't we do what Luke 11 says? If, God, if we want to give all these good gifts to our children, what about God's good gift to us? And then it says, pray for the Holy Spirit. Follow your heavenly coordinates. Look at that GPS. Look at your Bible, God's Word, and do a daily reset. Make every minute, every day, every month, every year count for Jesus. Remind each other of what's in store. I don't know if we do enough of that either. You know, we say, and I, this week, um, that saying about let the present catch up to your future, it came when I was looking at the internet and looking at all the bad stuff that's going on. Christchurch, you know, hurricanes, tornadoes, uh, priests stabbed at the altar, um, Nigerian Christians murdered in, en masse, you know, only a week or two ago. Christchurch gets all the media, but Nigeria doesn't get anything. You know, and I sort of thought, oh, this is horrible. And so I need to be reset I need to get my coordinates back to where Christ is seated at God's right hand. And we need to remind each other, this is not all there is. The best is yet to come. Long for that under construction sign to be tossed out with project completed. And then your resurrection in life will be breaking through the transformed life in your thinking, in your actions, in your plans and so then 
we can make a world of difference and actually make a different world. So that's what it means to be heavenly-minded, earthly-intentional. And the next slide, I couldn't find a better picture of heavenly-minded, but, I mean, we can't walk our way to heaven and climb stairs like that. But it is good to have your mind set on heaven and make a world of difference. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, it's good to meet with you and with each other. It's good to have your spirit um, teach us and have a greater understanding of a passage that may not have jumped off the page in the past as it can now. And uh, my prayer is that Colossians 3, 1 to 4 will have uh, a more significant meaning and a more significant uh, influence on the way we live and serve, encourage each other, and also look forward to our Saviour's return. In his name we pray. Amen.